This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com. There you are. Okay. Today we shall discuss all of the things we got wrong yesterday. And for all of the rest of the two hours of the show, dot, 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 Excelsior. Well, welcome back. You are most welcome here on the Blaze Radio Network. So say I, and so say all of us. I am Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest. We are together, the Blaze Radio Network. one 888 This is what it sounds like when doves get high. Uh, no disrespect i've had plenty of musical and other heroes who died premature awful lonely i think by definition but in any case unpleasant do we know of another kind deaths by virtue of narcotics alcohol a combination thereof. Yesterday, Guru Jay tried his best to be diplomatic. Last night, I took the veil off a little bit with my tweets. My last two tweets of the night were my frankest about my belief as to my theory as to Prince's most untimely death. And you and I were aware, I believe, last night. I was aware in the 5 or 6 o'clock hour last night, Eastern, that the gossip site, is that fair to call them that? I, I'm not, I don't mean to be pejorative, it's just the, 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 the gossip site, TMZ, validated that Guru Jay had once again just coincidentally been right for the 27 millionth time that we were right, that you were right, that what you thought, even though you may have been a little bit ashamed, and I know you're going to write to me, people like uh, Abby Normal and, and JC and Rock and others are going to, Stacy are going to write and say, you know, no, I'm not ashamed at all. That's what I thought, and I'm not ashamed. I'm just trying to be respectful, and I know... You are too, and I, I know you are too. 
But based on uh, the national reports that TMZ has been reporting since last night, what I admit to immediately, and I told, and I told you so uh, yesterday, the moment we knew, that we knew of Prince's death, I started hinting what I believed, which I have to believe is what you believed instinctively from the beginning. And TMZ has now been reporting for 18 hours or whatever that it was a narcotics overdose. Percocet in particular is the drug being named, the synthetic opioid being named, uh, not as the drug which caused his death. TMZ is not, has not speculated as to the cause of Prince's death. They so far have only insinuated such by virtue of their claiming that they know what caused Prince to land in an emergency on last Saturday night after his concert and that it wasn't influenza. It was was rock and roll flu. It was Hollywood flu. It was an overdose, an overdose of Percocet, according to TMZ, according to reports uh, being reported by TMZ. Now, TMZ goes no further in their timeline or their explanation than the plane landing last Saturday night. They, they do not make any <clears throat> reports, claims, or insinuations as to what happened in the 24 hours prior to uh, Prince's passing. They do, however, say in their report about the post-concert overdose of a few days ago, they do say that Prince has been taking Percocet since surgery, hip surgery, which can't be easy. Um, uh, Taking Percocet since hip surgery a few years ago. So that's what we know. We may know a lot more in just less than an hour. We may not. Here's the way this works. If it's a natural death, if Prince succumbed to anything organic, that is to say influenza or diabetes or a heart attack or congestive heart failure, you know, or anything organic, then we will know that within an hour. If, however... The final judgment relies on toxicology reports. That means the labs have to be done, and that's going to take several days, probably, at minimum. That's what the doctors are saying, and that's as much as we know. I don't know what this, I don't know if there's a question here anywhere. Every day I ask myself, the instant I hear anybody say anything, although I'm trying to cut this back in my personal life because people are throwing things at me. Uh, 
but I always the first thing I moment I hear anybody say anything, I, I I just say to myself, the bubble over my head contains the following words. Is there a question here? And if so, what 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 side of that question are you on? I'm always trying to figure out what's your argument, what's your remedy, what's your complaint? Is there a question here? I don't know that there's a question, a complaint, or, or a remedy with regard to Prince's death. All I can tell you is what I know that I've done. One triple eight nine hundred. Any comment you have about, I mean, I my least favorite call will be the call that tells me what they think about Prince. I really don't care. But if you care enough, knowing I don't care, to tell me what you think about Prince, by all means, by all means, if you care that much, call. It seems to me the interesting call about Prince would be how people perform gymnastics. Cirque du Soleil level gymnastics in the first 24 hours to avoid the elephant in the room and the elephant in the room was always drug overdose was it not it was always the michael jackson flu it was always in everyone's mind come on it was always right so the interesting question must derive from my suspicion and yours that instantly when we hear a relatively young person in relatively good shape has died because of the flu, you know, or maybe it's the celebrity culture and how we cover it, or in this case, didn't cover it, how everyone bent over in pretzels like the Singaporean uh, Cirque du Soleil gymnasts to try and protect what was to everyone the obvious question of the moment? Uh, maybe that's, maybe there's an interesting question there. But other than that, I beg you, and it's always up to you, but I beg you, let's not turn this in to the one thing into which they all turn, which really turns my stomach, and that is a bunch of people who don't know the person who is deceased, show up at some place that is supposed to be connected with that person, and they put down on the ground cheap, cheap plastic balloons with helium in them, and flowers, not only they didn't pick themselves, but that still have the plastic on them from from the from the Safeway, and they put them all on the ground, and then it rains within twenty four hours, and then it's all a muddy, crappy mess of mylar balloons, and 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 grocery store flowers that, that are supposed to pass these days in America for some intimate expression of condolence. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
the founder of this company 10 years ago was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Real Estate Agents, I trust.com. This is the Jay Severin Show. With my partners, the best and brightest on the Blaze Radio Network. An opinion, comment, criticism, complaint, other bull mole, as you may feel contributory to the show. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Get this press conference. It's Friday. Things a little slow. Uh, I had the opportunity to watch the entire news conference today. Obama in London with British Prime Minister David Cameron. Boy, I think the world of Cameron. He is great. Uh, Then again, I'm an Anglophile. He's a conservative. Uh, It's the Queen's birthday. It's a match made in Anglo heaven. I'm also a proud uniculturalist. I don't know if I've mentioned that recently. I'm a proud, proud uniculturalist. So I watched the press conference today. And the President of the United States was asked, what about the trans bathrooms in Mississippi and North Carolina? Call me old-fashioned, but do call me. one 888 <laughs> I mean, call me old-fashioned, but... I, I... Is there still any room left for surprise or shock or umbrage? Has Donald Trump beaten that out of all of us? Have we been sufficiently twerked? Have we had our brains twerked out so that we are no longer able to be so sensitive that when a president of the United States is standing up in London with the Prime Minister of Great Britain, and one of the early questions he gets is about whether some guy gets to go hang around the women's bathroom while your daughter or wife or girlfriend or mother is in there. He gets to go in there perving. There's twerking. There's also perving. They are synonyms, but not exactly the same thing. So I was a little shocked when Obama had to field that question. And again, that it was Obama was utterly coincidental to me. The mere fact that any president of the United States, even one so minimal a president of the United States, so inconsequential a president of the United States, so anti-American and un-American a president of the United States as Obama, that he had to field a question about bathrooms struck me as demeaning. It struck me as demeaning. I took umbrage. 
But it's very hard for me maybe to explain to our British cousins why I and how I took umbrage, or you did, why I regarded that as an impropriety when Donald Trump is up on stage. I have a few things to say about this, but I I want to say this first. This is a point of personal privilege. You are my partners and friends. I want you to know I feel the nascent urges of an existential crisis. I feel the nascent, the inchoate urges to violate my own deepest political principle, which is vote for the nominee of the party closest to me. I realize that voting for my party's nominee, however greatly imperfect, like me, both of them may be, the party and the nominee, Every time I now actually think, really visualize Donald Trump as president of the United States, I feel as if I'd be casting my vote and my young family would be standing by knowing, seeing me cast my vote for someone who represents virtually every single thing as a family we reject, renounce, denounce, mock, laugh at, make fun of, and are ashamed of even existing in America or in Americans, especially in a president of the United States, which the more I think about it, even as I'm saying this to you, becomes more unthinkable to me. Donald Trump as president of the United States before June 16th, Even though this is someone I've followed my whole life fairly closely and someone I know and someone I've talked to at parties. I mean, so I'm not saying I know him like we're friends, but I'm saying this is someone I don't know nothing about. And culturally, I know everything about him. And as I say this to you, with every word that passes, the more unthinkable it is to me that a lout like Donald Trump could be president of the United States. I keep flashing back to the moment he made fun of the disabled reporter from the New York Times. That single moment is etched in my memory, and you try to put it alongside president and my vote, and it makes me vomitous. I may still vote for the nominee of my party, even if that nominee's name is Chump. But I will have to remind myself, I will have to keep a photograph taped to my computer screen of Hillary Clinton that I see virtually every second of every day in order to get myself to stand before my family and you and say, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Because I think about becoming ill every time I think about it. And this includes, includes, mind you, the prospect that Trump could, may, possibly turn out to be somewhat more conservative than he so far appears. I say could, may, be, maybe, possibly, 
turn out to be somewhat slightly conservative, even though there's not a shred of evidence to support that contention at this moment. Because one thing Donald Trump will never not be is a cheap, loudmouth cartoon character, vulgarian. So, so, do I, like everyone else, retain the right to change my mind so long as I can explain it? Will you forgive me whatever I do so long as I can explain myself? Uh, can either of those votes be explained? These, these are the horns of a dilemma, my friend, my fellow citizens. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. With my partners on the Blaze Radio Network, one 3393 And look who's here, Eric from Houston. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Jay. Um, I listen religiously on the podcast. And Good. it's very rare, <laughs> very rare for me to take some time out of my work day to get to listen to it live. And you've been asking for the last few days why... Uh, why are us Trump supporters so passionate about our, our candidate? And I, uh, there's two reasons for me. Number one, I'm a libertarian. And for years, I, I was active in the Libertarian Party back in the 1980s. I served on the Libertarian National Committee. We had been trying to get Donald Trump to run for president on the Libertarian ticket for decades. And, and we almost got him to run on, in 2012 on, on the Libertarian ticket, and then Gary Johnson got it. But he came real close. At, at, at the last minute, Trump opt, opted out of it. And I can remember in the 1990s, you know, Trump was a libertarian. He was, he was hanging out with libertarians. So from that perspective, you know, it, being a libertarian, he's got very, very limited government libertarian right, question, type question, views. Question, yes. question, if I may. Because yeah. just, you know, just so we can learn as much as possible from you in the time we have. <clears throat> what are the two... Be as brief as you can. What are, because I know you are very passionate, very demonstrative. What are the two principles to you, general principles? I'm not asking here for biblical verse. What are the two general major principles to you as a libertarian that makes someone a libertarian or that would mark someone else as a libertarian that you would want as a leader? Opposition to welfare mutualism, opposition to all these people on welfare using EBT right, Opposition cards. to the welfare state. Opposition to the welfare state. Yeah. Check. Number two. Uh, immigration. Uh, no, all these illegals coming in and, and just getting which is on the probably an extension and... of number one above. But yeah, uh, yeah. right. Okay. So right. you want to take a shot? Well, if we count those together as uh, anti-welfare state, you want to take another? Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, other, uh, the, the other reason I... Or what is it... I'll Trump. narrow the question. What is it about Trump, other than what you've already stated, we have already have on record here, opposition to the welfare state, including illegal immigration, the wall, all that. What is it about Trump 
that marks him to you as a natural or at least an acceptable libertarian? Well, Other it than may not be one hundred percent libertarian, but I am a hardcore birther. I, you know, I, I was, I remember when when Obama first ran for U.S. Senate in Illinois in two thousand four, and Alan Keyes challenged him on the fact that he was a Muslim, and he didn't I deny recall. it, and that he was, and he was born in Kenya, and it was in the papers in Chicago in, in two thousand four race. Now you can't find anything on it. Now Donald Trump went out of his way. Uh, about four or five years ago when everybody was calling him a crazy loony tune for bringing this, he spent his own money, he did his own research, and he had Joe Arpaio helping him out too. He yep, went yep. way on a limb. Yep, you know, that, and that's why I'm so passionate all right, about it. All right, Eric, I'm going to take the liberty. Nobody else does. I'm going to take the liberty as your editor, as we did with number one, to suggest that we summarize number two as part of we're going to fold it into a Essia, come on knock it off Essia, sorry folks that's that's the big dog and he he rarely gets excited during the show other than listening to his master of course so so eric i'm going to suggest we fold that into number two with the caption heading commitment to general constitutional principle yeah okay right yeah, okay. Because that's All what right. birtherism is. Birtherism is a subset of being devoted to constitutional principles. Yeah, okay. All right. So here we have, I think for the first time on this show, someone who has articulated two reasons, two solid categories of reason that they would be for Donald Trump. Now let me ask you, do you believe, yes or no, do you believe that Donald Trump, either alone or at least certainly best, represents your principles better than any other available candidate? He's a dream come true for me. I mean, I have been okay. waiting for this moment for two decades, Jay. I can remember I was on the Libertarian National Committee in 1980. I know, I know. So you said and, my job is and, and, my and job as editor to is to we try, is to blue mark out. Things we've already said, uh, Eric, answer this question if you would. Why is not another candidate, I'm sorry, uh, uh, rephrase, why is Cruz unacceptable to you? Ted Cruz is my senator. I live here in Texas. He's a wonderful senator. I I agree with him. But he's not your candidate for president. So what what makes him, him, given given your values? He 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 was born in Canada. I cannot vote for him. And 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 if and if he were the nominee, I'd vote. Yes, for the but he's an American. Candidate. He's an American citizen that, by U.S. constitutional law. Sure, legally, he. I, I agree. Legally, technically, he qualifies to be president of the United States. I am such a hardcore nativist. I want somebody born on U.S. soil. I cannot vote. Okay, for Eric, I appreciate the call, but you have just disqualified in my mind. As and this is not personal. Please don't take this personally. Please don't take, and I know it's hard. Uh, It would be for any of us. Any of us. If I were on the other end of the call, too. Please do not take this personally. It's business. I speak to people every day whom I hope will educate me. Or at least provoke me to educate them. I'm saying to you that when you say to me, and I quote you, I am so much of a nativist 
that even though someone is legally an American, by the laws of the Constitution of the United States, technically, there is no technically, either they are lawfully citizens or they are not. Cruz is. But you're saying because he's not a real American, and that's what you're saying, he's not a real American. Okay, why not? The Constitution of the United States says he is. The laws of the United States of America says he is. But he's not American enough for you. This leaves me with two objections to your testimony that add up to disqualification, which I'll explain as a postscript. Number one, you are so much of a nativist that Ted Cruz is not really an American. That's way too nativist for me. I don't believe I have a lot to learn from someone who would accept John McCain, though maybe never vote for him, but accept John McCain or Mitt Romney, who, did you know, were both born outside the United States, uh, but would not accept Cruz, because that smacks to me of exactly being nativism and the ugliest kind, frankly. Please do not take this personally. You are very passionate. You are fairly well informed. Somewhere you went off the rails, in my opinion, a little bit with the libertarian deal, even though I have always included the word libertarian in the way I characterize my beliefs since I founded my grade school civics club in the sixth grade. I don't know. Skip, did I ever mention that before on the air? No, I didn't think so. So I'm glad I uh, mentioned it now. Uh, Second reason. If you say to me that one of the top two reasons, when you were invited to list the top reasons that you are for Trump, one of the ones you listed was the Constitution, adherence to the laws. And you started with immigration specifically. And we said, okay, let's let's take that immigration and make it part of adherence to the laws of the United States of America. And you agreed. You said, yep, that's that's it. It's both. It's the immigration thing, and it's a subset of being the laws of the United States per the Constitution. When you say to me that Ted Cruz is not really American enough, when you say to me that the thing you admire about Donald Trump is that some people are American, but some people are more American than others, even though they are all lawfully Americans, then you disqualify. And what do I mean by that? I mean by that, that I don't believe I have anything to learn from you. Please don't take this personally. But I have been studying and practicing and orchestrating national politics all of my life. And I have a pretty good sense of what you said and what you feel, but nativism, whereas it can in some contexts and with some limits be distinguished uh, from, you know, mere patriotism, sometimes nativism often, most often, 
nativism goes too far, at least for me. And that's exactly what Trump appears to be. And what you evidently, by your own words, so you are evidently a nativist. I don't think that nativism has much to teach us. I don't believe that nativism is part of the soul of America. I think patriotism is. I think populism in small doses may be. I even think nationalism in small, directed doses may be a, almost like botulism when they use it to you know help people for other medical problems. Even the injection of botulism in short doses can be helpful, ironically. Patriotism, populism, even a little bit of nationalism. But nativism leads me only to thank you for the call, which I sincerely do. But I regard you as a friendly witness. And by that I mean, I think you have just offered us evidence as to why people who support Trump, who can think of any reasons, support Trump. And those reasons, as you interpret them, are the reasons I regard him as a dangerous vulgarian. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. I am so glad you chose us. I am so proud you are here. Best and brightest on the Blaze Radio Network, and I thank you for this job. I've gotten a bunch of tweets from you commenting on the last exchange, uh, which I find heartening. I wish to underscore that my remarks were not directed personally at Eric in any way. I asked him, he was my guest, he was our guest. I asked him as part of the Donald Trump Affirmative Action Program to call and tell me, if you support Trump, why do you? And I thought Eric demonstrably wrong on two fundamental points, the first of which was Donald Trump's a libertarian. If you want to see a short comedy film, Eric and everybody else, I recommend, this will never happen, but imagine if we could do this. Imagine if we could go find Donald Trump right now with our Blaze Radio Network microphones and say, just ask two questions of Donald Trump in this narrow regard. Mr. Trump. Two questions. One, do you regard yourself as a libertarian? Number two, how do you define libertarianism? You would get an immediate nomination for an Oscar for a short comedy feature because 
the level of stupidity, of unintended comical ignorance that you would hear if you asked Donald Trump those two questions. Are you a libertarian? Define it. It would be, since the Three Stooges, this would be the stooge. And this would be the funniest thing you've ever seen. Number two, I said there were two things. If you add to this the fact that Eric's definition, which he defined, I did not. Eric defines his libertarian. I'm a libertarian. Now, you see, we could fight over that. Uh, I haven't told you what it means to me, except over the course of my last 20-plus years on radio. But Eric just told you what libertarianism is to him. And he didn't, I didn't give him a chance to tell us everything. So, Eric, I cheated you in that regard. We just didn't have the time. But you did offer to tell us that among the things libertarian means to you is that Ted Cruz is maybe technically legally American, but he's not American enough. And you, not I, introduced the term nativism. And you said nativism is good and it's what we need. And I'm afraid that nativism is most clo- closely synonymous with fascism. It's not what we need. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, my broadcast family, my partners, my friends. Yes, the press conference is just now wrapping up on the Prince uh, post-mortem. We will have the audio for you momentarily. I expect that audio is going to say what all of that audio says when it's 24 hours following an incident of this sort and we've all been through this sort several times together have we not and what the local official is almost certainly going to say is here's what here's a fact sheet here's what happened you know we received a call at x o'clock from y location to which z responded and found uh, a male, uh, unresponsive, uh, soon pronounced dead. Uh, subsequent medical investigation has shown no immediate, mysterious, or foul play causes for the death. Uh, the definitive rendering of a cause of death will require the awaiting of toxicology reports which by their sensitive and technical nature will require uh, days, if not weeks, end quote. Now, the one thing you have to give me credit for there, right there, is that if I ever run for anything, I've just proven to you that I can construct and deliver an English sentence out of nothing, okay? That was not written, it was not read, it was not rehearsed. (laughs) It was just doing what we do every day. 
that enables me to say that. And you could plug me into a different situation. I could give you a different script. And it could be without a single um, eh, ah, uh, ich, ach, mech, mich, mach, mu, or anything else. Did that sound like Mahmoud at the end? Was that was that a subliminal message? I'm Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest. We are the Blaze Radio Network. Our crack staff, and by that I mean the members of our staff who smoke crack, uh, are especially assembled here on a Friday in the editing process to bring you the audio. Uh, audio. And I'm sorry, Skip, would you repeat that? Not ready. Do Excelsior. Okie dokie. Oh, I haven't done that yet. Excelsior! Welcome back. It's a Friday edition of the Blaze Radio's presentation of the Jaily News. It is a daily American tragic comedy in two acts. Act two. We are presently going to hear the what I expect will be the uh, glaringly mind-numbing, uh, predictable audio from the local officials who I expect will say what I have just guessed they're going to say, or some very, very similar form thereof. And as I thought yesterday, we what we're looking at is uh, an unnatural, an unnatural cause of death. And TMZ, the gossip site, is reporting to half of that, as to why the plane made an emergency landing after the Atlanta concert, but is not, is not yet speculating as to the cause of actual death 24 or 30 hours ago. We now have, by virtue of the hard work of uh, Skip and Britt and others on their staff, the opening and the first few minutes, which, believe me, is, is all you're going to want, of the, uh, of the news conference uh, related to the post-mortem of Prince. To you, Prince Rogers Nelson was a celebrity. To us, he's a community member and a good neighbor. To his family, he's a, he is a loved one. In life, he was a very private person. We're going to continue to respect his privacy and his dignity and hope that you will do as well, and hope that you do as well. We also respect the media's right to information. Bear in mind that this incident happened about 29 hours ago and continues to be under investigation. There are some things regarding this investigation that I will not be able to talk about. I'm going to give you a statement, and we will then take some questions that you may have. At about 9.43 yesterday morning, we received a medical call at Paisley Park in Shanhassen. Shanhassen Fire, the Carver County Sheriff's Office, 
and Ridgeview Ambulance all responded to the call. That is, un that is our standard protocol, and it's not unusual at all for us to have everybody respond to a medical like that. They found an unresponsive male in the elevator. CPR was initially started, but was unsuccessful. He was pronounced deceased at 10.07. We have identified him as Prince Rogers Nelson, 57 years old. Staff members from Paisley Park had been, able to, had been unable to contact Prince yesterday morning and went to check on him. They found him unresponsive and called 911. Deputies went through the building to make sure that there was nobody else inside. Because this was an unwitnessed death of a middle-aged adult, the decision was made to process the scene. That is also normal protocol. It is not different from what we normally would do. Uh, there should be no, uh, we ended up contacting the Hennepin County Crime Lab to help us with that, and there should be no inference taken from that. It's not unusual for them to come out and do uh, those types of calls. We finished with our processing late yesterday afternoon and turned Paisley, Paisley Park back over to Prince's representatives. Again, because this investigation is ongoing, I will not be answering questions on whether or not there were any items that were taken during our processing. The Midwest Medical Examiner's Office was contacted, and Dr. Quinn Strobel, who is a Carver County Medical Examiner, responded. There were no obvious signs of trauma on the body at all. The body was transported to Dr. Strobel's office for an aut autopsy, and that is being done today. Results from that aut autopsy may take several weeks, which is not unusual. Again, this will continue to be an open investigation until the autopsy results came back, come back. Okay, so in other words, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, any of you who were busy rearranging your sock drawer or giving your horse a bath didn't miss anything. I think, uh, Skip and Britt, this would be a good time to take an early break, a bit of a sorbet on the palate, uh, just to cleanse the palate between courses here before we return to something with actual information in it. The waiter is going to bring a new dish to put on the table here. It's called politics. This is Jay Severin, Severin. on the Blaze Radio Network. is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. And you are my partners. Uh, and the complaint line, which is actually the conversation line, which can occasionally be the Trump affirmative action line, which so far has been, what shall we call it? A limited success or an abject failure? I don't know which is the more honest. I mean, the, the effort itself has been a limited success, but I must say 
that where I'd hoped it would go. That is to say, I mean, I am hoping that, I mean, there's a logic chain here, right? I am hoping that anybody who may be just about to be tapped as a candidate for president of the two major parties in the United States of America has supporting him and listening to the Blaze Radio Network person or persons of adequate intelligence and testicular fortitude such that they would be eager, you know, not just reluctantly willing, but eager indeed to call up the Trump affirmative action line and say, here's why I'm for Trump. Knowing that, I mean, about the worst of it is when Eric and I spoke, I'm sure Eric doesn't like me. Well, no, that would insult him. I'm not sure that Eric doesn't like me anymore. I fear that he doesn't like me anymore, but I hope that he does. Because none of it was personal, as I made abundantly clear. None of it's personal. But then again, you you are calling up to promote and defend a vulgarian idiot in, in my mind. But And I'm willing to be persuaded. I just want to know if there are bright people who support Trump. And if so... How, i.e., what what could be a couple of the reasons that you that a bright person would support Trump? Eric's okay, a dubious distinction, but Eric's was still the most substantive, the most articulate claim on Trump. No one who's called in Trump's behalf has done so better than Eric. But Eric's presentation was a DQ, a disqualifier, because he said, well, I'm for Trump under questioning. Eric said, I'm for Trump because he's a libertarian. And by the way, bear this in mind, Eric's been a libertarian for 30 years. He told us all about it. So this is not a spur-of-the-moment thing. Eric's a lifelong libertarian. And he's wanted Trump to run as a libertarian for many years. He believes Trump a libertarian. Okay, that's number one. And number one, that is demonstrably false. Trump is not a libertarian. And as I say, one of the greatest comedy shorts you could ever make is putting a camera on Donald Trump and saying to him, define libertarianism. He would look at you with a thousand yard battle fatigue stare before he launched into something hilariously nonsensical. Donald Trump is not a libertarian. By the way, for anyone who, and I realize that the strength and weakness of libertarianism is that it can be what everyone wants it to be. 
Well, of course, nothing that's ever going to succeed or mean anything can actually be everything that anyone wants it to be. It must be something. It must be something definable, something reliable, something translatable to everyday life, to the issues. If I am a libertarian, and I am a libertarian conservative, a libertarian constitutionalist, that means that that informs my opinion on any and every major issue about which you could ask me. Do! one 888 Want to know how a real libertarian answers questions about any and every major question appertaining to the conduct of our country, our personal lives, or anything else? Anything else! one 888 The libertarian line is open because I have read maybe 50 times and studied and underlined every line of and spoken personally with on any number of occasions and spoken publicly with on any number of occasions, Charles Murray, Dr. Charles Murray, who better than anyone else has explained in the title of his seminal book, what it means to be a libertarian. That book is about 90 pages long. It's about as big as a double-issue comic book. It's as easy to read as a double-issue comic book. It's far more entertaining, impassioned, enlightened, and uh, significant than even the anniversary Superman-Batman double-issue. What it means to be a libertarian, a series of questions and answers in the Socratic method let me give you an example. Does this mean there will be no one to check the water or the meat we buy? Does this mean there will be no one to check the jet planes on which our families fly? Does this mean there will be no government? Does this mean there will be no liber- uh, no uh, 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 military? Does this mean that our borders will be open? Does this mean they will be closed? Does this mean we will have any immigration anymore? If so, under what circumstances? A series of Socratic-like Q&A, which ends up in a fascinating, eminently readable uh, book called What It Means to Be a Libertarian. When I read that book, a light bulb went on. And I said, I've been waiting all my life for someone to explain to me what it is I think I am and what I've been saying I am since I was in the fifth or sixth grade. Finally, Charles Murray's book did that for me. What it means to be a libertarian. Uh, believe me, if I had, if I could afford it, I would buy it and send it to every person who asked me for it. I cannot do that. Uh, perhaps someday I will, and then I will. Between now and then, if you do it, if you look it up, you could probably buy it for 99 cents on Amazon. But if you do it and read it, it will be my greatest pleasure to converse about it with you in public, here on the air, in private, anything it takes to encourage you to read 
what it means to be a libertarian. Now, I recognize it's not going to persuade everybody. It's going to persuade some people about some of its contents. I know that. I'm not a, you know, I'm not Elmer Gantry here. I'm not a preacher. I'm not out here to persuade everyone to a particular point of view. But the one thing that almost everybody over 30 has entertained sometime in their lifetimes in their political lives and conversations has been this notion that, you know what I think I am? I think I'm a libertarian. It's a really funny thing. In my life, everybody I've known, virtually everyone I've known, other than the poor bastards who are committed communists, i.e. Democrats, almost everybody from every walk of life I've come across has said to me, well, you know, I've, I've, I kind of vote Democrat, but I really think I'm a libertarian. I have never in my entire life of civics, of civic circus maximus, I have never come across a term or a concept or a school of thought which was so not misunderstood, but sort of a understood as is what it means to be a libertarian. I'm not even sure Charles Murray gets to be the guy who places the final imprimatur on it, but no one else has. Can I recommend to you with all my heart? What it means to be a libertarian by Charles Murray. Woohoo! Jay Seven on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. And partners on the Blaze Radio Network. 1 888 900 3393. 1 888 Have we still, uh, and it's, it's been a long time, so I apologize either way, but have we still Lana with us? No. I'm sorry. Lana from Colorado is a, a lovely woman, a friend of this show. And uh, just reached her end of her string and couldn't hold on anymore. Lana, I am sorry for that. Uh, We will speak again soon, I trust. All right, back to something that at least I understand a little bit. Uh, The presidential campaign. Some headlines. You ought to go into the weekend knowing. The first poll from Indiana. And again, as by way of an introductory word, a big Super Tuesday that the media wants you to believe is a very big deal is this coming Tuesday. It is going to be, they're calling it the Eastern Primary. It's Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. I forget the other ones. There are five mid-Atlantic, Maryland, did I say that? There are five mid-Atlantic states. They're not unimportant. They are not expected to yield dramatic results. But all things told, I think Trump will not lose. Okay? 
Because the only question now is, really, I mean, the only question of at least of this moment is, can someone get 1237 prior to the convention? Yes. Donald Trump can get 1237. No one else can. Um, here, here, here are, and from now on I'm calling this the Rocky Breakdown Quotient. The Rocky Breakdown Quotient on this is that Trump needs, well, I'll tell you in a second, Kasich needs of the remaining eligible delegates of votes yet to be taken in uh, before the before the convention Kasich can win on the first ballot can win the nomination on the first ballot if he can merely capture 149% of all the available delegates <laughs> He only needs 150% of the available votes in order to win. Okay. Well, we've always known this is an inside deal or an insane man uh, or both. So we move that aside. Ted Cruz. Ted. <sighs> Ted, you're breaking me hot. I feel like I'm next going to be saying, Ted, we hardly knew ye. But I'm hanging in there with you, Ted. I'm hanging in there with you. Ted Cruz needs 92% of all the remaining votes and delegates in order to capture the nomination on the first ballot. 92%. Is there someone out there? The number is one 888 Is there someone who thinks that Ted Cruz is going to do that? Please, I could, I could use the the uplifting sermon. Anyone who believes Ted Cruz can or will win 92% of the remaining vote, please, please make my weekend. Tell me it's, tell me it's going to happen. Now we move that equally because Kasich winning 150% of the delegates is pretty much in exactly the same category as Ted winning 92%. As in, it ain't going to happen. And then we come to Donald Trump, who, as of this moment, in order to capture the nomination on the first ballot, so to speak, needs 53% of the remaining delegates. 5-3. You think Trump can do that? Yeah, me too. 53%. Now, what happens this coming Tuesday in the five mid-Atlantic states is a big old mess in a way because you've got the votes, you've got the delegates, you've got uh, Pennsylvania is a particular madhouse when it comes to the way that delegates are apportioned. But when all of that is said and done, when this Tuesday is said and done, I expect we are going to be back in precise, almost precisely the same position we are right now which is that Ted Cruz will be ahead and that he'll need a very manageable number of the votes in order to get to 1237 before the convention. It's not going to, I I don't expect that Ted Cruz is going to improve his condition as of this Tuesday. Uh, Trump might, but that would just, you know, dig a bigger hole for Ted. 
the real Super Tuesday, and, and as we've discussed, this was always going to be a, a rolling effect here. You know, every Super Tuesday except the first was always going to be more or less important than that one preceding or following it, depending on political circumstances, because that's sort of the broadest brush in the world, right? It's like the weather, depending on prevailing political circumstances. Well, Indiana, as it turns out, (coughs) pardon me, my, if I have a real home state, uh, I guess it's Indiana. That's where my, virtually all of, in my life, my living kin uh, came, are all Hoosiers. The family farm is or was in Duggar, Duggar, yes, Duggar, Indiana, which has, which enjoys the distinction in the movie Hoosiers when the team that Gene Hackman was coaching started to beat these other teams and they showed the scoreboard. They beat these guys, they beat these guys, they beat these guys, they beat these guys. One of the teams they beat was Duggar. My mother, I never recall my mom being as proud I watched that movie with her because of that. I didn't tell her. I just made sure she was watching. And she saw Duggar. She nearly had a stroke. I mean, she was so proud that Duggar was listed. And I'm proud, too. Anyway, so my native homeland of Hoosierville, of Indiana, turns out, I don't know, seems ironic to me. But after all of this, it really does turn out that Indiana is going to be Super Tuesday. Because if you accept, and if I'm, if I'm right, that after next Tuesday, we're going to be where we are right now. Next Wednesday, we're going to be where we are right now. And that means Donald Trump will be the only person who can get 1237, and the math is actually plausible. It's not merely theoretical. It's, I think the math will be plausible as of next Wednesday. And then we come to Indiana. Now we leave the East Coast and we go to Indiana. If Ted Cruz can use Indiana to turn this narrative around, then he does. If he can't, he can't, he doesn't, he don't, and it may be over. Right now, I can tell you this. We have the first poll numbers from Indiana. It's from a local television station, which means it's pretty much worth, but it's all we got. So all we got is this. Trump is up by six points. It isn't the best news. It isn't the best news for Ted. Well, it's not the best news unless you're for Donald Trump, but it, or, or unless you're an American. Uh, it's not the best news. If Trump wins Indiana, and if he's able to do no worse in Indiana than he's doing right now, and then again, if you accept my premise that after next Tuesday, we'll be in the same position we're in right now, only we'll be another you know two weeks closer, Indiana will be two weeks closer to the convention, two weeks closer to California. And if Trump can go into California primary 
in the same position he's in right now, only burn another month off the clock, then it will all come down to California. And in the end, I can't even tell you that that will be it. I don't know if if Trump goes over 1237, is the party going to let him have it? I am now fairly well persuaded. What do you think? I am fairly well persuaded that the party is going to let, I'm sorry, that that the party will not act in obstructionist fashion to deprive Trump the nomination if he gets 1237 before the first ballot. I am thinking that of the possibilities that exist, on the range of possibilities right now, I'm thinking these poor bastards, I mean, all the reports are from anybody who's escaping out of that room and able to talk to some fairly good reporters, all of the reports are the same. And the people I've spoken to off the record, you know, uh, on background, they say they're all saying the same thing down there. We're ruined. We're wrecked. We're ruined. We're going to lose everything. I've I've heard from two or three people that they've stopped even arguing about the presidency. They're now worrying about, can we possibly keep the Senate and the House? They're worried about down ticket. That's when you hear down ticket. That's what they're talking about. The Republican Party, the RNC, now worries that they're going to lose the House and the Senate if if Donald Trump or Ted Cruz is the nominee of the party. So now their decisions are based on another whole set of factors that we haven't even yet considered. So what's left to us? Doing the cheap arithmetic. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Friday edition, this just in, the cause of death for uh, a prince has now been assigned to his having been trapped on a plane sitting next to Donald Trump for a three-hour flight, uh, having to listen to him. That That is the proximate cause of death. No, no, that's not it. And I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm just thinking about the statement today by Trump's chief advisor, uh, Paul Manafort, which if you listen to Manafort, have you heard his voice yet? Have you heard Paul Manafort speak? When you do, you will think you're listening to Donald Trump. Period. Uh, this could be the big story of the day I buried. Uh, Paul Manafort says, uh, Trump uh, is just, uh, you know, you're playing a role, use Did he's one persona? Is that what you guys say? Persona? While campaigning 
but he's another one entirety when he's in a private room, and then he's another one still when he decides to be, uh, you know, what you call uh, presidentially. Uh, and I know we will see the, that presidential part soon, because the first part was just an act. Oh, this is good news. So the gross, incoherent, illiterate, rude, ignorant, vulgarian act was just that, an act. He's actually sophisticated, polite, knowledgeable, articulate. This is news. Stop the presses. I have page one for Sunday. Today, a campaign financial analyst, and the reason I believe him is because he comes from the street, not from politics, says that a modest analysis of what each candidate will need not to win, but to remain competitive, to remain competitive in the presidential race will take one half billion ba 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 b billion one half billion dollars five hundred million dollars man do I miss fifteen percent of that yeah those were the old days um there was a time people did get fifteen percent and more of the media buy but I think those days are over You'll know if they return, because in this space will be someone I hope that you like very much. Um, Really, the reason I raise this is, other than fantasizing about 15% of uh, multi-multi-million dollar media buys, will Trump remain self-funding? I mean, the curiosity about this is, you know, hard political, and here's why. Do you know that they've monitored this, and the biggest applause line in Trump's speeches is that do you know, do you know I'm self-funding? I'm paying for this myself? And that's the biggest applause line he gets. Will he be able to be self-funding for half a billion dollars? I don't think so. Seven on the Blaze Radio Network.